easy to read, but hard to abide by. First of all, it says, Recompense to no man evil for evil. That alone is hard for a lot of people to truly honest. The word recompense means to give back, to deliver again, to render payment to be made. Y'all know how you are in the streets. Payback's mine. Amen? We used to say that. And I told y'all before, when I was back there or out there in the world, if somebody did me wrong, I would not just get even. I would get more than even and teach them a lesson not to mess with me again. Amen? So we're good at the receiving of offenses and then the distribution of something back to teach them a lesson. Amen? We're very good at that. But God tells us not to deliver back, not to render payment to be made into the life of anybody else, even not even have an expectation that just because you wrong me, you owe me something back. He said that no, it is not for you to decide what the payment is that needs to be made, nor is it of you to be the collector. But instead, he says, I'm the one that handles vengeance. So he tells us in verse 18, if it be possible, uh-oh, you don't like that if. If it be possible. What is the condition on the if? As much as lieth within me, myself, and I. <laughs> as much as it lies within me, live peaceably with all men. So in other words, we may all be saved and call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior and pardon our sins and all the catchphrases we do out there in the church world. Oh, I bet you I need you to Christ Jesus 75 years ago and you can still be just as bitter and mean as you want to be. There's a difference between making a proclamation of him being your Savior, committing to church attendance, and then as it says here, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. The buck stops here. The onus is on men. It doesn't matter what they did, what they said, whether they were willing to apologize or even own up to the fact that they offended me. It's about me saying, as much as within me, I'm going to walk in peace with other people. And it also says, live peacefully with all men. Not just the ones you like. Not the ones that share your interests. We like fishing. We're athletes. We like to play basketball and football. Hey, I like to go to an arcade and play video games, you know? It doesn't talk about you just getting on with the ones that are of your ilk. The ones that are born on the same side of the tracks. The ones who are of the same race. The ones that are in the same social circles. It doesn't say just get along that. It says as much as lies within you, live peacefully with all men. And that's where it gets hard. <laughs> that's the hard part. But God doesn't say we get an excuse. He tells us to do it to the best of our ability. And matter of fact, I think here he's really issuing us a challenge. As much as lies within you. In other words, let's see what you're made of. I think that's what he's really saying. Let's see how much Christ is in you. Let's see how many attributes of me and my son, Jesus Christ, lie within you. Because as you walk around on a daily basis, walking in forgiveness or a lack of forgiveness, no matter what you profess out of your mouth, you are giving an open demonstration, a measuring rod, a barometer of where you stand in Christ. And the thing is, 
the people testing you are more than just God himself watching you. The testimony of how much you forgive, there's a blazing trail everywhere you go of people that will tell whether or not the testimony of you is that you live in righteousness and peace with all men or whether you're just a mess, chaotic, argumentative, disruptive, mean-spirited, cocky. Amen? So God says, as much as lies within you, live peacefully with all men. But I'm here to tell you today that there's a lot of onlookers that might be able to tell you that you're not quite as peaceful as you may think you are. Amen? So that's not criticized. That's just to say that we can't say to ourselves, oh, I'm peaceful with all people. You want to know if the, the answer to that is, is really true? Go around and have somebody over here overhear a conversation people talking about you. Ask for a referral or a reference letter. Ask somebody to give you the cold, not honest truth. And you'll find out if you're as peaceful as you truly think you are. So God tells us, don't avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath. See, it's almost like a bullfighter with a bull. You can either stand there in the path of the bull of anger as it comes your way and let it become a part of you and fail you, wound you, and then you turn around and become the bull. Or as the bull of wrath comes your way, you be like, whoop, I'm going to let that pass. I'm going to place that thing because I don't want it to become a part of me. I'm not going to let it injure me. And even more so, I'm not going to let it become a part of me. So now I'm starting to dispense it or overrun people with it. And that's why he tells us at the end here, after already telling us to feed your hungry enemy, give him something to drink when he's thirsty, show him love so much that it heaps coals of fire that it warms his heart to receive Jesus Christ. He tells you not to be overcome with evil, but to be overcome with good. Wow. You can be overcome with good. In other words, just like Nikki said earlier, the weight of the glory of God being on you so heavy that it just engulfs you in his presence, you can be so overwhelmed with good, walking in forgiveness and love for other people that it's like you just got plowed over. So you got a choice. We see here, be overcome with evil. I'm just a mean spirit, son of a gun. Or you can be overcome with fool. Everywhere he goes, love just, he reeks of Just love. Love just flowing everywhere. Love, 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 and more love. We have a choice. Whether we're going to be consumed, engulfed, and overcome with the spirit of love and compassion for people. He tells us here that we should provide things that are honest in the sight of all men. That word honest means to be valuable or virtuous for appearance or use. The things that we're providing people, are they valuable? Are they virtuous, pure, holy? And then we speak to people, we interact with people. Can they see holiness emanating from what we're doing? Or we're on the other side of the corner where it talks about avenging and having vengeance, full of vindication, retaliation, retribution, and punishment. Here's a key word that caught my eye last night. It says, therefore, thy enemy hungry of hunger, feed him. That word feed 
and underlying Greek means to supply with bits to nourish. I'm going to say that again. It says, when your enemy hunger, hungers, feed him. The word feed means to supply him with bits. Just a little bit. Oh, my, my enemy's hungry. I'm not giving a little loaf of bread. Here's a bit. That sounds a little odd when you first think about it, doesn't it? If your enemy's hungry, and God's saying, give him love, why not give him a steak? Or give him a whole loaf of bread? But it says here that God tells us to feed him or supply him with bits. So the person I am, I say, God, why don't I just give him a bit? And God answered. He said, you supply him with bits because you give him just enough to nourish him. Then when he gets hungry again, he comes back for more times. That's how peaceful and loving and forgiving that God wants us to be. That we walk around on a daily basis deliberately feeding people bits of the love of God. See, they're, they're getting a smorgasbord of hate, animosity, disdain, being scandalized, mocked, belittled. They're getting a full buffet of that everywhere they go. But it's very rare that especially an unbeliever can run into somebody that gives them bits of love. So it might seem to be a small little thing to you, but it's something that, even in its smallest form, is totally unique and thoroughly nourishing when compared to everything that they're encountering on a daily basis. Amen? So that little bit you give them is just enough to meet the need right now, and then when they look for another supply of nourishment, and they go to the doctor and they get bad news, and they go to the job and people are talking about them and threatening them. And they go home and there's all this chaos. It may just so happen that they recall, wait a minute. I'm talking to Calvin Chan, he's really kind Let me call him up and see if he's got a few minutes. See, the bits make the people come back. But you can't distribute bits if you're walking around angry and unforgiving like everybody else. Amen. So you don't necessarily have to make a person completely full. Just nourish them enough that they know where they can come when they need to get another bill. Amen. You've got to treat them in such a manner that it keeps them hungry and thirsting for righteousness, even as Jesus directed us to do. So we're going to continue on and examine some principles related to deliberately walking in forgiveness. And as I was going through this, I looked at a lot of quotes on forgiveness by somebody who truly understood the process of being oppressed, dealing with hardship. But still, despite the things that he encountered, he continued to walk and to speak. Not only to walk and speak, but to demonstrate a life of forgiveness. I'm going to share some quotes from Bishop Desmond Tutu, who was over in South Africa during the height of what we call apartheid, where the entire people, black people, were oppressed by white society. And here's one of the things that he said, starting out the process. He said, one day, missionaries, white missionaries, came to us with Bibles. We closed our eyes. You know, we had the land. They had the Bibles. They said, let us pray. 
We took the Bibles, prayed them with our eyes. We had the Bibles. They had the Bible. Ouch. But this is a man that later on, as they were coming out and he was serving as a social activist, he said, there is no place for hate in the house of God. There is no future in unforgiveness. Instead, the only way to bridge the gap and provide all of us a joint future is we come together and walk in love. Amen? Let go of the unforgiveness and allow yourself to walk in compassion and unity and forgiveness. That is the way in which we can guarantee ourselves a bright future. So I want to share some more quotes as we go. So what's one of the first things we can do in the act of forgiveness? I think it starts off with the most meaningful thing. Prayer. Amen? Prayer. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 5, 44 through 48, the words of Jesus. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he made his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So Jesus is telling us, you got to pray for people. You got to bless people that not only talk about you, do you a little bit wrong, have attitude, but people that straight out curse you. Jesus says, pray for them. Speak blessings over their life. Speak good things. Speak hope. Speak healing. Speak salvation. Speak prosperity over the lives of those people. And then he goes further. He challenges us. He says, hey, if you only love the people that are good, where's the reward then? Anybody can pray for those that treat them good. We hang out together, we share the same interests. You know, we just click as individuals. It's very easy for me to pray and bless that person because I like that. So he said, so he basically tells us there's no reward in that. That's easy. Anybody can do that. But he said, you want a reward, not from man, but from heaven itself. If you want a reward, pray for those that just dogged you out. Pray for those that not only dogged you out, but are not sorry that they dogged you out, but look you in the eyes how I dog you out again. Those are the ones you want to pray for. And we see here now that even though it may seem to be crazy according to the world system, God says if you do these things, there are rewards. Why? Because you're stepping outside of your comfort zone, you're stepping outside of your wounds, your hurts, your aggravation, and you're doing the things of God as opposed to what the fleshly human being would do. And matter of fact, not only does Jesus say that you'd be blessed for it, but he says, this is one of the means and one of the criteria, criteria for me to call you perfect. Wow. Do you want to be perfect in God? Or do you want to be, you know, misfit? Renegade, know it all, 
somebody just rebels against him? Do you want to pass Jesus' test of being perfect? He says, be perfect, bless those that curse you. Pray for those despitefully use you. The phrase despitefully used in the Greek means to threaten, insult, slander, or falsely accuse. So when he's telling us to bless those that curse us and despitefully use us, they didn't just do something simple. They may have threatened you. I'm going to take you out. <laughs> they they insulted you. They ain't just talked about you behind your back. They got in your face and told you about yourself. They insulted you. <laughs> How dare you talk to me like that? Kiss your ego up. So they threatened you. They insulted you. We see here that they slandered you. They ran your name through the mud. Falsely accused you. Who did that wrong thing? They did. These people did all those things to undermine your life and to stuff you out or stuff out your role in whatever area in which you interact. And yet God says, despite the threats, the insults, the mudslinging, the accusations that are false, and trying to ruin you, he says, bless and pronounce peace and blessings and love and salvation of them. Wow. As I said earlier, one of the things that Desmond Tutu said, hate has no place in the house of God. You may not necessarily be in the church, but we are really the temples of the Holy Ghost in the house of God everywhere we go. Hate has no place in God's repository, God's temple. Do you have hate in your heart? We need to pray and pray and pray till it's removed and it's lifted off and it's purged out of your system. He said in God's family, there's no outsiders, no enemies. Do you have, like I said, that click that you like and you pray for and you bless it and those others that get on your nerves and refuse to pray for them? Even when the Spirit of the Lord says pray for them, what do you do? God says you should not treat anybody as an outsider. You should love the world. Amen? Love the world. Pray for them. Bless them. Realize that even when they're doing you wrong, they're doing it out of ignorance. They're doing it out of being a, of their father's king. You know, they, Jesus said they're the children of the father of the devil. And he's like, I'm not at all surprised the ways in which they conduct themselves. All they're doing is imitating the one that they grew up under. So why are we so shocked that they're acting like that? They're the father of the devil. That being the case, if you're your father, Jesus, you know, God the Father behaved like he did. He's surrounded by sinners all the time. And he had two things for him. Actually, three things. Healing. Whether it was casting out demons or, or, or healing the sick, he had healing. He had love. Amen. And then he would give them charge, go on sin no more. But he never treated them in such a way that made them feel small or insignificant or not loved. Amen? So I said more too, really, but you get the point. He walked in love and forgiveness despite what they did. In other words, we should have an expectation that they act up. And even if they're in the body of Christ and they act up, you say, oh, they should know the word of God. Well, obviously they don't. Obviously they don't. For whatever reason, they're not delivered. They haven't studied the word enough. They haven't been saved long enough. Whatever we go with eighty thousand excuses and try to analyze them. You can order a sophisticated computer system and analyze 
every molecule in your body and everything that they've gone through and everything that did and will do. And the fact is, it all comes down to they disobeyed the word as it relates to you. But now what? What's the excuse? To him that know to do good and do it not to him it is sin. So it doesn't matter at the end of the day, save the unsaved what they did. What matters is what you know to do to be true according to the word and will you obey it. See, you're, you're under the, the, the command and directive of God to do something. When the Spirit of God speaks it to you, you receive it, you understood it clearly. That's when it becomes your own to say, I will obey God, I will do what he says, whether I like it or not. That person acting up, saved or unsaved, may not, may not have come to that place yet. So the onus is not on them to apologize and walk in forgiveness and approach you first to apologize. No, the onus is on you because you know in that time of season, this is what God has empowered me to do. And one of the things the Lord just spoke to me too is we try to make excuses. Well, he did the wrong, he don't come to me first. Well, God told you to pray and to go approach them and you to apologize even when they're wrong. You got the revelation. And by you receiving it, coming out of your fleshly desires and pride and going to them first and apologizing, what you fail to realize is that you got the revelation first, even though they wronged you. You approached them to apologize even when they were the perpetrator. You may get up to that point where, bam, oh, I just got the revelation. But you get a higher reward because you were obedient even though you weren't the wrongdoer. Amen? So they get a revelation with God using you as the vessel to deliver that epiphany. You get the reward because you walk in obedience even though you weren't the wrongdoer. That's why I have no problem. I do a lot of things. I say a lot of things wrong. But I can tell you one thing. Nobody was planning to say, Brian Fox is slow to apologize. I don't apologize like that. And sometimes I'm like, in my flesh, I'm like, what are you talking about? Seriously? <laughs> but guess what? I don't give myself time to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I offended you. Do you forgive me? I'm sorry. Sometimes I didn't do anything wrong. When the person perceived it or thinks it or they just didn't like what I said or I got it. He didn't have an issue with me because, oh, you see, your personality is too rough. You just offended me. I'm sorry. <laughs> Here's an example. Just thought of <laughs> At my job, there's somebody that I have like a much stronger, like this, all the charts. My IT background versus this IT background. That's not a price, reality. I'm educated, the person learned like at home. So trying to manage this project that I was constantly saying we need to do this, we need to do that. And for a while, because the person had been there longer, they kind of leaned like, oh, we'll do this way, this way, we always did. No, that's wrong. It's going to cost us money, we're going to lose time, we're going to do this. After a while, they came around, they went to run this right, start doing this way. But here's the thing. We had a company, um, I think the first one was a bar mitzvah, and they had all these people from the job invited. So I meet this guy's wife. Never laid eyes on her before. Never talked to her, didn't know her name. Oh, I'm sorry. Take a step back. I met her before that. She came to work one day to drop off lunch or just come and see him. And as soon as, you know, we met, and this is Brian, I can tell by her body language, oh, she knows me. Yeah, don't like me. Because like one of those things like, usually be like, hey, how's it going? 
But it's like, when I reached over to say, how you doing, it's kind of like, Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trying to hide it, but on the is like, oh, I'm like, you heard about me and don't like me at all. <laughs> so that was like a short engagement. So I was like, okay, this person went back to his wife and just like, I'm this, I'm that, and fighting and arrogant, this and that, arrogant. Like, and she straight out don't like me. So then our company had a bar mitzvah for my boss's son, and they invited everybody wives and whole works. So like now they're still like me. So that whole night, so they come up, oh you look incredible, how you doing? Wow, you look great. You know? They later on in the night, you know, all the people from the company get up dancing and stuff. I'm like, that's what you're doing right now. Then another time they had these things that were handing out, and she didn't get one. I said, I'll get you one. I walked that whole building. I said, I'm going to find her one. <laughs> I walked around. You got any extras? No? Okay. Other side of the room. Out the lobby. And then I come back to the table. Here you go. You don't have to do that. Wait a second. Whole thing lifted off. Amen. Sometimes you gotta be deliberate. Like I said, I didn't do anything wrong. But this person, through word of mouth, and whatever stories they betrayed, had it in them that I don't like you. The person I heard of. So I can even see, like I can see it lifted off like, you're so nice. That's not about, that's not who I heard about. Who is this person? I can literally see it lifting off. Ran to this person another thing, Rook comes up to me, like someone says, hey, how you doing? How you doing? How Lifted off. Why? Because I was deliberate in trying to, to invite, to invoke, to command a spirit of forgiveness. Amen? It's not about when you're right or wrong. How much you want Christ in a situation? Amen? How, even if Christ's not in there, you don't get a salvation moment. How much do you just want the love of God to flow and the spirit of chaos and confusion and contention to be lifted? See, sometimes when we look for the Super Bowl, I know somebody that says prayer. Probably 80%, 90% of our work is just ministering the love of God to make the environment and the heart of a person conducive at some point to receive God. That's why the word of God says, you know, some water, some plant, some water, but who? God. Gets the increase. So our problem is we try to be God and get the increase. So God, see how many people I got saved? Yeah, that's you do that. I called you to plant. Did you plant yet? Oh, she planted. Did you water the plants? How many times have you water? Did you do every day? Cool. Alright. I called you to fertilize. Did you fertilize the plant? See, we all have our part. Amen? And part of it, if if it if it requires some aspect of forgiveness, like I said, whether we're the offender or the victim or whatever the angles and the, the, the criteria and all the circumstances are, just walk in the love of God. And we know that forgiveness, a lack of forgiveness is, is present. Do your part as much as life in you to live peacefully with all men to pull that out of the situation. As we see here, prayer, Amen. 
praying and blessing people to make that spirit of contention with God. So you're walking in the spirit. We walk in, in, in prayer and walking in love and blessing and not cursing. You're walking in the spirit. You're walking in the Lord of God. Do you realize you're walking in the supernatural? Wow. See, we only people walking in the supernatural by laying hands on somebody that got healed. No, God said you can bless those that are that cursed and spiteful use you and you choose to bless and not curse. You're walking in the supernatural. You're not doing that, which is natural. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, next one we'll look at. After prayer is our thoughts and perceptions. Thoughts and perceptions. And the Lord gave me, oh, I didn't do Oh, that's not my page. Sorry, I'm not going to thoughts and perceptions yet. We're going to speech, your speech. Yeah, sorry about that. Got to flip the page. We're talking about our speech. So one of the first things we see about speech as it relates to forgiveness. Luke 23, 34, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. As we know, this is part of the seven last words, the seven last sayings of Jesus Christ when he's being crucified. At this point, you know, Jesus, despite what they were doing, he said, forgive them. Amen? He had a profession in his mouth and his coming out of his heart. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them for that. What would we say when people do stuff without us? And we see here, even though Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, did he stop them before what they were doing? They took his clothes and started parting them up. So in other words, they kept doing what they were doing anyway. But it didn't change the fact that he still spoke, forgive them. You got to have it in your heart and then allow it to come out of your mouth. Amen? And this is a mindset that he had all the time. See, it wasn't just during the good times. I caught the woman in the act of adultery. Oh, daughter, go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. I see somebody sick with a palsy. Your sins are forgiven. You rise up from your bed and walk. See, he, he spoke about forgiveness then, but he wasn't personally challenged or afflicted. But we see the mindset was always present. And here, now that he is being afflicted, he still has that same mindset. His attitude did not change. Whether he was just walking around, serving God in ministry, or he was actually being physically assaulted, mocked and ridiculed, he still had the mindset of, Father, if people do me wrong, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the mindset we can all adapt. Yes, people are dogging you out. Yes, people are trying to undermine you. Yes, people are attacking you and talking about you like a dog. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, the people coming against Jesus, they didn't know. They were messing with the only begotten Son of the Father. The resurrection and the life. They didn't know. With us, they don't know if they're messing with the children of the king. They don't know what they do. But we're going to walk around and get them. Watch them. Or are you going to have the same mindset? You already saw earlier. Do we want to have the mindset that makes us perfect before God? If that's so, what he tells us to do? Bless and do not curse. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They're walking in ignorance. They don't understand the significance of what they're doing. 
That's one of the things. Somebody's coming against you as a child of Christ, an heir of salvation, with all the inheritances of the kingdom of God. They not only don't know what they're doing in ignorance, they don't, they also don't know the blessings they can receive by being a blessing to you. But then they don't know the, the significance. They declare an act of war on one of God's children. I'm powerful, collected, but you mess with you mess with my wife and my kids. It's World War III. I'll get crazy over it. They'd be like, whoa. It'd be like the character of Wolverine when he goes into his, his, his rage room. Like, what happened? You, you, this thing, you can beat me, talk about me, smack me down, I get up, kick me down, and get up again. I can take a beating and bruise but you mess your mind. So that's the lesson of God who has even fervent, more fervent love for his child than I could ever have. How do you think he really feels when you mess with one of his children? But despite that, he still has a mindset, I can pour out my wrath on them for what they're doing. They don't even realize that when they attack that child, I'm the king of creation. You turn me to sit on my throne. You're tapping on the line. You really don't know what you're doing right now. Really don't know the significance. So he can stay back and stay his hand and stay in the wrath that a loving father will have his child being assaulted and just stay there like, I could, but I won't. Because I'm sparing them, allowing them another chance to get themselves right so they can become one of my children too. Why can't we hold that? Why do we have to return fire? Why would they give them us their two cents we got to give them a quarter? You know? Why? Why can't we have the same love that God has? They don't understand what they're doing, and they don't know the significance. They don't know my Father and I are one. They don't know my Father is watching. They don't know my Father says the hands on my head are numb. You did. You said what to me? You cursed me? And God says, I'm blessed the city, I'm blessed the field. You had the nerve to curse me. You said, I've never done nothing, I'm stupid. God says, I have the mind of Christ. And you said, what? You said, you're going to block me in the purpose and plan for my life. And God said, before the foundation of the world, he had already dictated it. You said, what? So they don't know the significance of what they're messing with. But God, in his grace and mercy, to say, you try to hinder me. He can't even say, God, help me. Me, help me. I spoke to my beloved child in his mother's hand of before he had arms and legs and his genitals and tongue. I was interacting with him and saying what he's going to be. Do you have the nerve to say he's not going to be? They don't know they mess with. Father, forgive them. Forgive them not what they do. It's like once you really think about it and go get outside your, your emotions and how you feel, and you get to see, I try to think universally and globally and like eternal perspective. Once you get outside of us and our feelings. And you realize what they're messing with? See, and here's the thing. When we allow ourselves to say, I'm going to react because of my emotions, 
not only do not, they not understand the significance, but in a sense, haven't we forgotten it? I allow myself to come down to Cajun and Battle, and I put myself at their level. I joined in the scrum. They didn't know the significance. What's my excuse? So instead of dropping out to that level, I'm going to stay in my place, seated in heavenly places, in agreement with my heavenly body. I ain't worried about what they got to do or their plans to hinder me because he had formed and fashioned the body before the foundation of the world. Therefore, I ain't got to get angry. I don't have to counterfeit. I don't have to sucker punch or stab them back because I'm a precious child of God. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. They don't understand what they're messing with. Lord, matter of fact, I'm praying for you because the things you could do scare me to think about it. Lord, forgive them. Who? I just got a revelation of what you could do to them. Father, please. I'm actually coming to you now. Lord, please. Don't give them what you could. That's revelation. And that's why Jesus, when he talked, he said, to the, to the king right man, he said, don't you know I have power over you? Jesus said, you have power over me, but the one father that you have. When they try to lock him, they try to arrest him. Don't you know I call these the police that angels down right now? You want to arrest me? Or reason you arrest me because I'm choosing to like this. Same thing not everything like. It can't really do anything outside of God allowing for our maturity, our equipping, our growth, our ministry, and a testimony. So when they do something, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they, they're doing. They don't realize it's the significance for me to keep it moving. So I'll get myself out of my way and hinder my blessings. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Luke 6, 26. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. That sounds a little contrary to what we used to think of. Well, I don't want people to speak to me well. Jesus said, wait a minute. Everybody speaking to you well, though. Maybe you ain't genuine. Maybe your walk isn't right. If nobody ever has anything bad to say about you, maybe you're resembling them too much. You don't challenge them. You don't convict them. Because somebody is truly walking in the righteousness of Christ and constantly interacting and intertwining your life with unbelievers, if you're walking in the purity of God in terms of your profession, your actions, your behavior, at some point you really need to offend somebody. Because they're of their father, the devil, and they're of the world system, and you're of the kingdom of life, and we're of the kingdom of life. So you can't help. When two opposing armies of kingdoms come into conflict with each other, as much as they try to stay at peace, sometimes they're going to bump because their nature is contrary to each other. So if you never offend or challenge or convict somebody, we got to ask, well, are you a false prophet? That's what he basically said. Everybody's speaking well of you. You must be speaking their language. You must be walking according to their tradition. You must be preaching and operating in their gospel. So he said here, 
And, uh, you know, when they speak all speak well of you, they did that for all the false prophets. The false prophets told everybody what they wanted to hear. So it said, if you're operating the spirit of truth, there should be a challenge. There should be some controversy. There should be some offense. And that doesn't mean we go around intentionally offending people, but in your speech and your actions, these things are going to occur. So he tells us, if you're always in with the crowd, woe unto you. You might be false. You better check yourself. So like I said, nobody ever says anything offensive about you. You have to question whether you're having a life of impact and if you are exhibiting the character of Christ, which challenges and offends others and causes others to dislike you at times as it reflects their own sins and shortcomings back upon them in a form of conviction. You should offend people. But there's a difference between intentionally going out to offend people and offending people in your flesh and in your attitude and offending them just for righteousness sake. We should only offend them for righteousness sake. Titus 2, 1 through 8. But speak out the things which become sound doctrine, that the age of men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The age of women likewise, that they be in behavior, behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not giving too much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. So we see here that as we are speaking, and we're trying to walk around in a mindset that produces forgiveness in the lives of people that we've offended, that as we're going around, we should be speaking sound. We should be just all flipping and just running our mouths and um, putting your, as they say, your foot in your mouth. We should be speaking with stability and with wisdom. You know, there are going to be some times that we will offend, but it basically says we should keep, uh, walk in such a way that the word of God, the character of God is not blasphemous, that people don't look at it and say, oh, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. Look at the way you're speaking. Look at the way you're conducting yourself. Look at your behavior. Instead, we should have a life of stability. And it says here, though, that when we do that, even if people are coming up against us and speaking negatively about our character and you know our role and our mindset and our behavior. It says that people that are doing that either don't have an evil thing to say about you, but if they do, it's inwardly they kind of like people who are going to be Well, boy, they never get exposed <coughs> and what I'm saying about them isn't true. The shame that I try to put on them is actually going to fall back upon me as people see that I have lied on them. Amen. So that's how we should be conducting ourselves. And that's how our speech should be. I had two quotes from Desmond Tutu. My father used to say, don't raise your voice, improve your argument. As <laughs> a good one. See people going back and forth, talking and reasoning, discussing stuff. And then at a certain point, person like, you're not getting what I'm saying. Next thing you know, everybody's going higher and higher and higher and they're screaming at each other. His dad told him, 
You can't, he's basically saying, you can't keep pushing stuff on somebody, especially when you had a previous conflict and now you're trying to come in and reconcile it. You're not gonna reconcile it by having a battle of who can yell louder. If, if they don't get it when you say it calmly, they're not gonna get it when you're screaming at it. So in other words, as he's saying here, use another argument, present another example, give them another analogy. Don't keep trying to push the same thing down the throat. They're not gonna get it, or accept it, or appreciate it. So change up what you're saying to try to bring some clarity or some peace out of it. Here's what I like. If you want peace, don't talk to your friends, you talk to your enemies. I'll say it again. <laughs> I got a few looks. <laughs> if you want peace, you don't talk to your friends, you talk to your enemies. Here's why that's true. Me and Kelly got a beat. See, I'm not winning him over and reconciling it, even though he's a jerk. I'm not winning him over. <laughs> but I'm not winning him over by talking to my friend. And matter of fact, I'm making him another enemy. And then as I go, I'm done with Gigi, got her on my side. Amen. That sucker, man, you know what he did? Church, he what? And what? He said he did with you. What? I didn't know he did that. Oh, man. Oh, next you know, two, three, four, he got four enemies in Rome. His character's destroyed. And see, here on the other side of the corner, he said, he's going to Bill. Yo, Bill, you took me in Brian, man, that chunk. I can't stand it, dude. You know what he did? You got two or four public armies growing. Why? Because instead of going to my enemy, and they're not talking about like really armies, but instead of us coming together, working on our beef, ending it, and then like, hey, we cool now. And they became a friend. Instead, we both went to our separate friends, pulled up an army, and now you've got a bunch of warriors coming at each other. And you've caused the situation to escalate. So like he said, you want peace, you don't talk to your friends. Because you're either helping to produce another enemy or the friend might agitate you further than you were. So if you want peace, you don't talk to your friends, you talk to your enemies. Come to the, the table of discussion, negotiation, and you know, uh, mediation and conciliation. Try to bring back something that will be peaceful out of it. Don't go to your friends. I'll leave. Um, I think I'll go into action today. Let's talk about our actions. Once again, we're talking about the act of forgiveness. How should our actions be? Luke chapter 6, 27 through 29. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you, bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, Offer also the other, and him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. So we already saw before, pray and bless and love your enemies. Here he takes a step further. Oh, they go loops upside your head? <laughs> Give them the other side of your head. That's real hard. <laughs> they hit me, what? I'm going to hit them three. 
And sometimes it's not even between even that person. It's between them and their unforgiveness for somebody else. And God will send you in and you <coughs> too to help divert the wrath that can be poured out upon them and the attacks that the enemy could commit against them. God will use you to help redirect them. Sometimes people can't even defend them. They can't even forgive themselves for stuff that is self-inflicted. But God says he can use us to come in and minister to them and say, you don't have to carry this burden anymore. God forgive you. Just cry out to him. Let's pray together. Oh, you know, no, I love you despite the things you say about yourself. Come on, you know. I mean, there's so many different ways we can help admit or turn around or turn away sin and take that burden off of somebody else. God bless you. Thank you. What God is saying here, what Jesus is saying here, it's on you. Whoever sins, whosoever sins, ye remit. So which part of the process are you going to be? Helping to hold stuff, refusing to minister to people in the area of forgiveness, whether it's a, a, a beef between you and them, or, or them and somebody else, or you're going to act as somebody that does nothing to stop it in its tracks and bring about healing and restoration, deliverance and salvation, or, or you're going to serve in the likeness of Christ and help them come out of that and help them get that weight off their life. That's our choice. Jesus has given us a precious opportunity. Just think about that. How incredible that is. That he did, that knew no sin and became sin for us. You know, fulfill the passage. Curses is, is he that hangs on a tree. He chose to do all that stuff so that he could be the savior of all mankind. And yet he says, I trust you and give you responsibility to serve in my likeness. Amen? Kind of like little Jesus, little love letters to the world. I've delegated to you the power and authority that you will go out and act like I did. Before people, you know, when I was out here on earth, they could see me and interact with me. They could touch me. They could talk to me. I could hug them. I could laugh with them. And show them my love and enable them to receive it. Now they can't see me. They're blind to it. But I've delegated to you the power and the authority to go out and represent me in the same manner. So are you going to do it and help? Take the burden of sin off of people, or are you going to do nothing about it, or even worse, help hold that stuff in that way on them by not walking in forgiveness yourself. And that's a hard thing. That's the worst part of it. Quoting Desmond Tutu again forgiveness is a selfish act, it is not something you do for the person who wronged you. Forgiveness is something you do for your own inner peace and strength. Until you truly forgive and act in freedom, you remain tied to the person who wronged you. So you can think, oh, I just got a grudge against you. I'll get dead. And I don't have to let go of this attitude. I don't have to do it. I don't care what you say. Man, it's just some stuff that is so wrong, so deep, and so dirty, and wounded me so much, I never forgive those people for that stuff. Well, guess what? You're still taxed on. They give you dead. They give you thousand miles away. You can't find them even if they want to apologize to you. They could be in China right now and say, oh, I wish I could apologize to them. But you don't know where they're at in China, and they don't know where she's at in New Jersey. So what good does it do if that person in China said, oh, I wish with all my heart, I could, 
didn't even ever see each other again. So why carry that weight? Why have that person over there with the weight, and why have you over here with the weight of um, animosity towards somebody you would never see again? Let it go. Just let it go. It's not worth it. The thing is, you lose so much, so much you lose in your health, in your peace of mind. You just lose so much. It's a, it's a no-win battle. It's just as bad as when you see countries at the brink of nuclear war. They can both fire their missiles, but everybody loses. Everybody loses. And some of them may even think, well, we're going to pick the president and the cabinet and the Congress, and we're going to hide them behind the bunkers. So when the bombs go off and, and devastation hits the whole planet, we got our reserves of food and everything stored away, and we'll stay underground for a month or two years, and then we'll come back up. Well, guess what? We're still coming up to a world that's destroyed. Chaos everywhere. Destroyed buildings, dead bodies, dead animals, plants. It's still devastation everywhere. You just got spared from seeing it. But the devastation is still there. Same way with unforgiveness. You too kind of find it. You got devastation surrounding. Devastation. Because the peace that God will give you. Surrender, the opportunities, all the different things that God will lay out before you, if you just let it go, are now blocked because of your refusal to let those things go and for your sense of vengeance that still sin. We can make it as pretty as we want to get. Well, I don't really want to get back. Yes, you do. If you don't go forgive you want to get back. There's only two sides of that coin. We can try to pretty, uh, oh no, I'm a pleasant person. Yeah, we would like your spirit inside you. You know, if we don't we have to carry the Christ in love, Jesus said, the Bible talks about the spirit of truth and the spirit of, of error. The Pharisees, Jesus challenged them. He said, You look good on the outside, you got robes and stuff like that. He said, Inside, you're whitewashed sepulchers, you're tombstones. So we can look pretty and say, I look like Christ, I speak the right name. You ain't nothing but a modern day Pharisee. If you refuse to bend your knee. And like I said, it comes down to a matter of choice. Well, you know that God is better for your heart to forgive you. You refuse to forgive. That is an act of disobedience. It might not be the disobedience of God told me to go to church, and I didn't. God told me not to fornicate, and I did, and I did. I, I'm sorry I did. Like on the, on the disobedience side. We look at the bigger, outward, physical things as being the God told me not to curse. Well, I. Drop that bomb sometimes. God told me not to smoke. I'm smoking. God told me not to work. I'm working. God told me to stay out of the club. I'm the club. God told me not to gamble. Why gamble? We look at that stuff. That's the easy stuff. That's the easy stuff. I curse on the cell. What else I was say? So they got saved. Oh, where God says, don't let your communication go to No cursing. Okay. I'm the baby Christ, but I stopped cursing. <laughs> At least. And the thing is, sometimes the little people, oh, you never cursed. They, you know, they're like, oh, I'm like, 
But Lord, you gave it strength and whispered out. Muscle. <laughs> and then you think about it again. It's a little bit easier. This time you didn't crack any teeth. You, you really opened your mouth up the whole word, whole way, and enunciated. God bless you. Then after a while, something comes up and you just think about, hey, Lord, I don't know where you're at right now, but, you know, God, whatever it is you're going through right now, it's, it's good. God, God bless you. Praise you, Lord, for blessing me. It's bad, Lord, I should part your blessing, your peace, your salvation. You're a blessed person's life. Yeah, after a while, we become such a routine. Amen? You know? It's like with the martial arts routine, you got some, such, a, uh, such a discipline of, of doing it that you don't think your body just flows. It's the same thing in terms of forgiveness. You keep exercising and exercising your spiritual muscles. So after a while, when that name comes up or that new person does something, you don't have to sit there and try to build up your spiritual muscles. It just automatically flows. God bless you. Lord, forgive them because they're not thinking. See, it just flows because it's a part of you. It's a natural part that goes on autopilot. You don't have to think about it, you don't have to summon it up, and you don't have to struggle with it to let it out. It just flows. So that's what God wants us to do in terms of our actions. Amen? Amen. All right, we'll stop with that today and we'll continue on next week. Amen. Hallelujah. Like I said, we're talking about the act. Not just the pretty little word of You didn't really think you said it. It just came out. I'm talking about not just loud words come off your lips, but you actually deliberately try to walk in it, exercise it, speak it, and pray. And in the essence of your being, feel it emanating in your heart. Amen. And it will do more and you, I know it seems kind of like a strong statement for Desmond Tutu to say it's a selfish act to forgive. That's one of the few areas you can be selfish. I don't forgive because you don't forgive because I'm blessed. Yeah. Amen? So that's how it's deemed selfishly. Let us all be selfish. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we give you glory, honor, and praise. For everything you're doing in our lives. And right now, we praise you, Father, for the victory over the sin of not having forgiveness for people. Father, if you didn't have forgiveness, none of us would have eternal life, but we would be destined for eternal damnation. But you chose, despite our actions, our transgressions against you, our blatant sin and rebellion, that you loved us, you had compassion and mercy for us. And that you would not forget the sins that we commit, but you would allow the sacrifice of your son to atone for it, and you would still have a heart of love and acceptance for us. So we thank you for that, Father. And we ask you, Father, that you would begin to show us how to walk in the same amount of love. Once again, that doesn't make us suffers. It doesn't make us doormats or, or, or punching bags. It definitely does not let us be subject to verbal and physical abuse. It's just a mindset that we would have on a daily basis to walk in love for those who have despitefully used us and abused us. Right now, as a corporate body, we pray over those who have done things to us. Physical actions, slander, and other verbal things against us. People have done deliberate acts against us to hurt us. People have uh, 
basically stole the money from us, whether it's through services that were not rendered or literally taking money from us. Uh, people that uh, damage our equipment, our homes, done stuff at our jobs to hinder us, uh, come against us in organizations to try to deploy us or to kick us out, wherever it may be about how we've spoken words against us and our family, verbal, physical actions against us and our family, our circle of friends, things that are happening in our lives right now or even going back 5, 10, 15 years to go back to our childhood. Right now, we ask you to take away the burden of all those things. We ask you right now, Father, that even when those things come back to our mind, that instead of it wounding us and harming us, that instead, we would have a sense of appreciation for what you allowed us to be delivered from. And Lord, let it be a testimony of your greatness, not a source of salt being poured in the wound. So we praise and thank you, Father, for your peace. We thank you, Father, for liberty. We thank you, Father, for enabling us to walk with a mindset of forgiveness. And we can not only be blessed, but also a blessing in the lives of others. And Lord, we're not exempt in the area of forgiveness. We're not just the victim all the time. There are people that we've done wrong as well. So right now, Father, we pray blessings over those that we have called. We ask you right now, Father, to uh, uh, just take away the weight of anything that we've done to hurt them. We truly repent and ask you, Father, to lift them off. And whether we see them again or not, we ask you, Father, to uh, just uh, touch their hearts and give them peace and comfort. Allow them to come into your kingdom as your, your children. Allow them also to walk in the same principles of, of forgiveness. And should we ever meet them again, uh, or communicate with them again, uh, whether it's in person or electronically, we just pray that thank you, Father, as we would interact with them, it would be totally peaceful, that both sides would extend love and apologies, that there would be no comfort whatsoever or discomfort, and that, Lord, you would be glorified in it. And we pray that thank you, Father, for this. Bless us in our coming, in our going, in our coming week, academically, professionally, in every way. Pour out the healing upon uh, the people that exist today, as well as any of us that have physical ailments. And we stand and praise God for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you.